Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to yet again another fantastic indie creator interview. It's your Cape Crusader Cody, and we're keeping it geekly with our new guest, B. Willett. We're here to break down Villains Dress Better, which is publicly debuting April 7th on Global Comics and a couple other sites as well. But before we dive too deep into that, B. Willett, welcome to the stream. How are you doing today? Uh, hi, thanks for having me. I am really excited about this. I am as well. These interiors are gorgeous. You're the writer and the uh, the artist, correct? Yes, I am the creative team. I'm the one stuck doing everything. <laughs> so let's start with the basics. Let's start with, you know, who you are and how you got into creating webcomics. Okay. Um, I've been doing webcomics for about 20 years now. I started back in high school in uh, 2003 when, uh, because I was a huge, I mean, mega fan of card captors which was mm -hmm. the english dub of card captor sakura and when the series was canceled by warner brothers uh back in 2002 i was heartbroken because the final episode ended a spoiler for a 20 year old cartoon that uh, ended with uh, the main character uh, sakura saying goodbye to her friend that she realized is her true love uh, in the in the dub it was lee in the original it's xiaolan and when that series ended i was so mad <laughs> that i decided you know what screw this i'm going to do i'm going to have a story about uh, you know her her kid and her adventures as the card captor and i'm going to make sure everything is awesome and for 4 years on my fan site i ran card captor Tarika, which That's is actually awesome. turning 20 years old in uh september Congratulations on that. That's awesome that, you know, it was a uh, disappointment in how the series ended, like kind of catapulted you just to get the thing done yourself. I, you know, so how long did that series run for? About four years. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what other uh, series did you start to develop? Because you uh, created a handful of series, if I'm not mistaken, right? I have. Uh, when I finished uh, Cardcaptor Tarika, because originally it was a hobby. When I was in high school, I was actually aiming towards being a biologist. Problem, I was taking advanced science classes. I was actually, you know, set. I pretty much finished my science uh, requirements for a degree, a high school degree before I even started high school. So <laughs> I was getting ready to do the uh, advanced classes, the AP uh, biology classes. And I kind of had this crisis of, oh, no, I really love animals. I don't have the heart to actually dissect them to study them. Oh, my so goodness, So that kind yeah. of derailed that plans. And I remember so the first I, time in... High, high school like when you had to dissect the cat i couldn't i love cats so much and i'm like i can't do this you're making me do this like exactly and i understand the importance of you know understanding anatomy and stuff but for a high school class it just felt so you know such a waste of life you know yes yes yeah in college it makes a little bit more sense but like <laughs> i said i just had that uh-oh moment in high school and had to change tracks and so uh for my senior thesis project, I actually submitted a pitch to Tokyopop. Uh, I partnered up with uh, one of the artists who was getting uh, an uh, original English manga uh, published at the time. I emailed her and asked, hey, I'm doing this project and, you know, could I talk to you about uh, you doing your manga? And uh, with her, I pitched something to uh, Tokyopop. They didn't accept it, but they gave me a lot of positive feedback and I decided, you know what? I love this. I'm going to do it professionally. 
So when Cardcaptor Tarika finished in about my second year of college, I decided that I was going to do original stuff. And my first original series was a magical girl manga called The Sorcerer's Apprentice. So how long uh, did I mean, you had another one too, Midnight uh, Menagerie, if I'm not mistaken, that yeah. uh, en ended up running for 10 years. Yeah, it's still ongoing. Wow, wow. So it's, give me a little bit about that first series that you mentioned, then let's dive into Midnight uh, Menagerie as well. Yeah, uh, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, uh, at the time there was a lot of uh, problems in the anime industry with issues of if you wanted stuff on TV, it was either a niche hobby where you were spending, you know, $30 for like four episodes of a, a TV show or everything was edited to hell and back to be published on, or not to be published, but to be aired on TV. Mm -hmm. And I was worried that anime fans uh, were going to miss out because, uh, you know, all the stuff that was edited for TV, you were starting to get less and less edited stuff. But it was kind of that gap where you weren't having animes for kids, especially for girls. So my idea at the time was to do an Americanized uh, magical girl story. It was set in Connecticut. It was about a high school girl who gets magic powers when she tries to return a lost ring to a museum. The ring happened to have the soul of a an ancient French sorcerer, as well as a bunch of monsters he sacrificed himself to defeat. And when she put on uh, the ring, she, uh, through shenanigans, she accidentally ends up releasing the monsters and has to learn magic from the sorcerer in order to defeat them and keep people safe. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. And I love how it was in response to kind of fulfill a niche that wasn't being met at the time. Yeah. I mean, the t the uh, world has definitely changed from when I first started Sorcerer's Apprentice, and it's actually really, really awesome to see all these creators hybridizing between, you know, creating stuff uh, based off of the animes and things that they watched as a kids and mm -hmm. giving it to a new generation and how the new generation is just devouring all the different comics. And I got to tell you, that just makes me feel so warm and fuzzy. We have a uh, Lee Newman over on YouTube stopping and say, "Yo, be will it's so kind, so talented. Thank you for joining us, Lee. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, love the work that uh, Lee's doing on Twitter too. Uh, uh, helping, oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. So, I mean, Midnight Menagerie. This has been ongoing series for ten years. Uh, give us a little bit about this one too. I, I mean, I'm really curious too. Like, when you are, you know, scripting and and coming up with designs and interiors, you know, what what does that routine look like? But let, let let's dive into uh, Midnight Menagerie first, and then we'll go into your routine afterwards. Okay, Midnight Menagerie. I joke with people is where plot bunnies go to die. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I constantly have all these ideas for different stories and they don't necessarily work out to be full length series. Mm -hmm. So over the years, I just had like this stack of different ideas and I decided I had to do something with them or I was going to, you know, go a, a little bit nuts with it. And what Midnight Menagerie is, is kind of my tribute to EC Comics. EC Comics were mostly uh, just short stories uh, tied together with the Crypt Keeper, the Vault uh, Keeper, and the Old Witch. And, uh, and what I was doing was, it's a central cast of characters. The main character is Sean. He's this LA horror fan who's just about to start college, and he's completely terrified of his future, has no idea what to do with his life, think he basically has no skills, or anything. I feel so and attacked right up, now. 
<laughs> yeah. And he ends up uh, finding this little uh, store that specializes in horror merchandise, and he befriends the owner. Unbeknownst to him, the owner is really a vampire. So Sean ends up uh, finding out the secret about uh, the vampire, his name Romero, and uh, through Romero, he ends up stumbling across all these uh, different uh, things, supernatural things happening in L.A. And because of his personality and because of his dumb luck, he keeps just getting his butt in the fryer and his new monster friends constantly have to bail him out because... <laughs> Yeah, because he's just uh, got a heart too big and just does not want to deal with uh, the fact that he has to come up with his life soon. I, I, I love this. It's such a relatable story. Like, outside of the monsters, I'm like, dang, this, is this me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so running for 10 years, I mean, what? Yeah, let, let's dive into that routine. Like, how are you, uh, you know, able to keep it going for so long? That is remarkable. Well, it hasn't always been easy. There have definitely been a few times where I've wanted to quit. In fact, mm -hmm. uh, around 2016, things were just really, really rough for me. Uh, I wasn't getting anywhere with uh, my career. I've had some of my art stolen and go viral, whereas I've been trying oh, to... Oh, no. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm sitting here trying to get one follower at a time, one new reader at a time, and someone steals an old piece of art I did in college and gets like literally a hundred times uh, more attention for something that they post that than I've ever done. And I just like, okay, obviously people aren't interested in my stuff. I can't do this anymore. That is, but, that's, and you know, it's the worst part is even if they do credit you, like after the fact of posting, it's already too late. If they don't credit you within like the first like 15 minutes, like anytime they go to credit you yep. afterwards, every, the mass majority of that has already missed it. That's yep, such the, a disappointment. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. But then in, uh, around the time that, uh, the pandemic, uh, I realized, especially since I was stuck at home all the time, uh, more than most, I'm immunocompromised. And uh, so I was stuck at home and I'm dealing with all these anxieties. And I just remembered, you know what? It doesn't matter that people don't like my work. It doesn't matter that, you know, I barely get any readers. I love doing this. And I just decided two things. One, I was going to take things up again. And two... I'm not going to even try to be mass market. It's like, nope, I'm going to go full on, you know, wild and uh, bananas. And <laughs> it doesn't matter because, you know, it's for me. Mm -hmm. And I was able to revive Midnight Menagerie. And since then, it's just been, you know, the next idea and the next idea. And I love it. So, so proud of you for getting back up and, and, and dusting you. dusting the dirt off. I mean, the comeback is, is always harder. Uh, but once you do it, it's like, it's, it's so worth it, isn't it? It is. It really has been. I've just been so grateful to the community because, you know, the problem is when you stop doing this stuff and you stop updating regularly and hell, I didn't even have internet service for like five years. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when I came back to it, uh, I was able to get in contact with a lot of the folks I knew before. And since then, I've made new friends and know new people. And it's really been a wonderful experience. And I'm just so happy about it. That's awesome. So, wh where does this lead us to villains dress better? I mean, where where do we where, where do we see this story start to come into play? Okay, well, 
a couple of years ago, uh, I was uh, watching uh, some older TV shows and movies, and I was just like, you know what? The villains are always the absolute best-dressed characters in any (laughs) show, regardless. And I always found that so funny. And being a big fan of series from the 90s, I absolutely love 90s anime, especially like Slayers and Dragon Half and Sorceress uh, uh, Stabber Orphan and all those uh, series that you had these big epic fantasy stories, but a lot of slapstick and a lot of goofy jokes and puns. And I'm just like, I need to bring that back. Mm-hmm. So with uh, Villains Dress Better, the story is that you have this sorceress er, who uh, rules the castle Bloodfist with her orc army and her pet wyvern. And this group of well-meaning adventurers is going to come and save the day. And because she just she just is every villainous trope known to man. Mm-hmm. And she and so they're determined to get rid of her and she's just minding her own business she's just trying to do the thing and so she has to convince these guys that listen i'm not causing any problems but there's a flooded village uh, in my country do something about that mm-hmm. and and so it's this just this big misunderstanding and lots of uh, you know lots of making fun of the fantasy genre and it's a love letter to the fantasy genre because i absolutely love just playing with tropes that is just my big thing in all my work so how are you making sure you're hitting those right on the mark i mean it, you know sometimes it's hard to make a trope pop off as good as it can I don't know. My problem is I just overthink things to death and mm-hmm. I take them either to their either most logical conclusion or their most absurd conclusion. <laughs> and usually something in there ends up working out. It's 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 a hard process to just say, oh, well, because I do this and this and rethink it. It's like, no, nah, I just kind of cross my fingers, think, well, what would happen if this were a thing and just let it fly? <laughs> So I know you mentioned the idea came to you when you were watching, you know, some television, but what what ultimately came first for you? Was it the story or some of the character designs? I, I know as a writer artist, you know, sometimes that that in between, you know, it's it's hard to tell which comes first. So for you, uh, did any of these designs come first or did you kind of think of that story? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Respiusha was definitely, who's the main character in The Sorceress, her story and her idea definitely came first of this, just this fabulously dressed, large and in charge uh, woman with the, you know, flowing capes and uh, green and the purple. And from there, uh, the rest of the story and the rest of the characters uh, came from there. But it definitely started with Rasputia and coming up with designs that are as elaborate and as, you know, fabulous and as uh, campy as possible. So I know you mentioned that this was a nod to, to early 1990s anime, but when you're creating the, the webcomic, what do you like to be doing? Do you have any sort of like television or or maybe a podcast on in the background? Like what, what do you like to do when you're actually working on it? Yeah, when I'm writing, I usually have to have dead silence because I have this weird <laughs> habit of uh, picking up words I hear in the background. So it's like if somebody starts talking to me and I'm writing, I have a tendency to write down what they say instead of my thought. But when I'm uh, working with art, absolutely have to have music in the background. Like for Villains Dress Better, uh, Villains Dress Better is brought to you by Speed Metal. <laughs> Especially <laughs> Dragon Force. Was listening to a lot of Dragon Force while working on this series. 
That's awesome. You know, it's 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 funny you say that because for me, I'm like 100% opposite. I will have usually something on the TV. I will have a podcast on my phone. I will be listening to like like whatever I'm editing on my computer. So I have like three different medias running at once. And like, it's just like the noise in my head. It's just like, um, like it's like, I don't know what it is. It's just chaos. I, I thrive in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have to be like that visually. Uh, sounds not so much. But if I if I had to like work in a boring office with beige, ugh, I would just be so depressed. Uh, my house is definitely splattered with figures mm -hmm. and, and posters and paintings and plushies all over the place in order to keep inspiring me. That's why I had to like decorate my area, too. You you never realize like how much a boring area really impacts your, your workload, like your your ability oh, yeah. just to get it done. You know, coming oh, yeah, in and seeing a lot of different flashing colors and stuff. I'm like, ooh, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so we yeah, have this sure. debuting April 7th. 2023 this is coming up what in a, a week or two uh you know we have the link yep. right here guys you can go to global comics right now and follow be comics to be notified when this goes live what other platforms uh can we expect this to come out on well right now i have early access for folks that can start reading the story if they support me on coffee uh coffee.com backslash be comics uh, all one word and i'm also going to be posting this on tapas so if people prefer to read on Tapas versus Global Comics, I know different people prefer different platforms for different series. That's mm -hmm. definitely one thing I've learned from hosting comics for years and years and years. So if people prefer that platform, I've got Tapas as well. So all those different platforms, are you ever intending for this to come to print at some point or is this just going to stay as a webcomic? I would love to bring uh, more of my work to print. Uh, I've done uh, print on demand in the past for mm -hmm. Sources Apprentice Volume 1 and 2. I haven't done a lot of print stuff in the past couple of years just because I haven't been able to get the funding for it. You know, printing, it's it's a really rewarding experience, but it, it can get pricey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... so Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I definitely feel like if the support is there, I probably would do some kind of campaigning in the future. So fingers crossed that the stars align and that uh, people respond to villains dress better like I hope they do. So what's next for you in 2023 after, you know, the release of Villains Dress Better? Is there any other series that you're going to be working on or, or dropping sometime within the next couple of months? Uh, absolutely, actually. Uh Later this year, um, in June, I'm actually going to be picking up Sorcerer's Apprentice again as well. Oh, let's go. Congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I've always uh, determined to finish that series. Uh, back before everything kind of just fell apart, I had a, this really loyal, really awesome fan base who just absolutely loved uh, my characters and my story. And I really want to finish it for them. I really want to give them the conclusion and it's for me as well, because it's my first original series, and for a long time I haven't been able to finish a lot of stuff. And now that uh, my uh, winds are shifting a little bit, I, I really want mm -hmm. to say, you know, give uh, Victoria her ending. And uh, the other thing I'm going to be doing later this year is my other ongoing series right now, The Final Boss's Son Loves the Protagonist. The first season is going to be ending in about uh, June. But I'm going to be picking up the second season later this year in November. Oh, let's go. So that that is a handful of series to be balancing. Holy crap. I mean, 
Yeah, I am a workaholic. Kids, <laughs> don't be me. <laughs> <laughs> well, be willing, that brings me to my next question, and probably one of my most favorites, where I get to ask you for a little bit of advice for anyone who might be new or even seasoned listening. And I think with you being able to balance so many series for so long, I think I have the perfect question for you. And that is, for anyone looking to add a little bit of longevity to their series, what would be some of the, the best advice you could offer to them to help them keep that series going and, and keep it, you know, firing on all cylinders? Okay. There are a couple things that I definitely want folks to understand that I'm definitely an exception with being able to juggle so many series at once. <laughs> Mainly, I do that in order to not get fed up or bored with my series. When you work on a single series at a time and that's the only thing you're working on, it's very easy to get, I don't want to say sick, but just kind of like... It's the same characters in the same story in the same steps, and that can get really daunting. So I found that working on multiple series lets me, you know, take breaks. So if I finish one story arc in uh, Midnight Menagerie, I can take a break from that and pick up something else. And when that gets to a good uh, point, I can go back in. Uh, it gives me time to plan additional stuff. So for people who want to be able to do that, First thing I suggest is keep your story arcs small. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One mistake I made with a Sorcerer's Apprentice, and that's one of the hardest uh, times I've had finishing the story, is it's a single storyline that, that I had initially planned for 40 chapters, and that, that was not a good idea. Whereas with Midnight Menagerie, the story arcs are maybe two to four issues at longest. How many so, chapters is that? Um, Would you say, how, like, uh, in, in comparison for uh, Midnight Menagerie? It's like two to three chapters. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is a huge difference. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, even though I have like big story ideas with uh, Midnight Menagerie and over, uh, over uh, an overarching theme, breaking it down into little smaller storylines is definitely the way to go. Plus, if there's ever a situation where I need to shelve uh, Midnight Menagerie for longer periods of time, because life has a tendency to get light, pretty lifey for just mm -hmm. about everybody. So if, if there's a situation where I need to put a pin in it for either a while or just need to say goodbye to the characters, by having the little story arcs, I'm not leaving people as open-ended like I did with the poor fan base of Sorcerer's Apprentice who are just sitting there waiting, <laughs> wondering, what's going to happen? It's been you know, 80 years. Having that many chapters, too, it has to be like, <clears throat> excuse me, it has to be almost like a self-imposing barrier. Like it's like you have so much to work on and it's like working against you almost, it feels like. Exactly. Exactly. And I know that a lot of uh, webcomic artists especially have these really epic stories in mind and those are fantastic. Don't, don't lower the epic. Just you know, compartmentalize the epic into chunks and steps so that way you don't burn yourself out mm -hmm. or end up biting off more than you can chew. So if I could tell Baby Bullet, you know, back then, <laughs> break it break it down uh, more so it's easier to manage and also don't overdo it. The reason I had it at 40 chapters was because my intention was to try to crank out a 30-page chapter every single month. And when, unless, you know, you've got a team working with you, even if you're working in black and white, that's just not realistic. That's mm -hmm. just not feasible. 
yeah most of those studios have assistants and teams of like what 10 20 people to help them pump that yeah, out exactly. every 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 week or every month uh we have a uh, clark griswold uh no kids definitely be uh be willing to work hard <laughs> and then lee newman excellent <laughs> advice uh yes absolutely thank you so much for swinging by this has been a fantastic chat everyone watching i hope you all have a lovely friday make it even better by going to global comics right now and signing up right now to follow be willing comics for when this drops it's going to be debuting april 7th so do not miss it with that being said it is time for us to wrap up you all have an awesome day, but most importantly, guys, keep it geekly.